It's time to give up. Get your ass up. Throw your hands up and say, well. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your recovery meeting on the air. Welcome to Sober in the City. Here's your sobriety assistant, Debbie Strand. Do you or someone you care about suffer from untreated alcoholism or addiction? Contact Believe Treatment Center now, 1-855-874-2354, or visit BelieveTreatmentCenter.com. Believe Treatment Center, we understand. I'm Debbie Strand, back with more Sober in the City, talking about how you can work a program of recovery and overcome your addictions, whatever they are. Drugs, alcohol, gambling, smoking, shopping, food addictions, and there are life issues we all experience. Whether you're in recovery or not, whether you need recovery or not, we're here to get you help. Call us now. Share your opinion. Tell me if you stayed sober through the weekend. Tell me how you did it or how you didn't do it. 800-SOBER-05. And visit us at SoberInTheCity.com and listen live on the Sober in the City app for Apple and Android devices. You can hear this show and previous shows and share them with your friends. Give the show to that sponsor that's driving you nuts. Let me talk to him all night. <laughs> but right now, more about the cost of addiction and what that means to you. I know someone who sure could use a program. He admits to being an alcoholic, but it's but he's functioning. So he works, he maintains his family, he's been married for many years. But I wonder, and he says he does too, more about what more could he have done if he didn't drink? He says he knows he could have had more friends, did more fun things, been more social, but he says he loves to drink. So there it is. That's his choice. I'll give up what I might have had to keep what I have. I know in my addiction, I was still in a place of not having that awareness. I feel like I live my life in double time now, just trying to get those years back. I'm moving as quickly as I can and stuffing as much stuff into one day as I possibly can, but I don't think I could ever get those years back. Do you ever wonder what could have been, what potential you failed to reach because of your addiction? What else have you lost because of your addictions? We're going to go to Steve. Steve's calling from Arizona. Steve, welcome to Sober in the City. Hi, Debbie. Steve, what, um, what do you think about the losses of addiction? The losses of addiction? No, I lost quite a bit. I started in at a really young age, and I was 14. And, you know, like any young person, I had dreams, I had goals, I had all this stuff, and... Yeah, but I chose to get loaded, and you know, I barely graduated from high school with the skin of my teeth. But I had always, always held a job even through high school, and you know, therefore the the functioning alcoholic was always my I justified stuff that way. And I knew I was an alcoholic uh, probably by the age of seventeen. Anyway, uh, when I went on to college, I drank my way out of college. Um, I. Went, uh, I was taking business management. I always wanted my own business. You know, I dreamed to myself, you know, being a big shot executive and having my own business and everything. And so I took a course in business management. And after going there and uh, drunk on my app, but sorry, uh, I decided I could teach the class too. Well, that didn't work out very well. I was kicked out of class. Well, so much for Pasadena City College. And from there, I did a lot of construction, uh, this and that. I decided uh, I liked being an electrician. That was the trade I liked the most. Uh, and so I went to school for industrial electricity. And then 
I, after showing up drunk quite a few times and getting reprimanded by the professor, I blew up some really expensive test equipment in the lab. And from there, I was asked to leave Pasadena City College and never return. It wasn't going to be a third time. So it cost. I had no education, and I still wanted to be. Still wanted a business. Still wanted uh, the electrical thing, and so. I went to the library, I studied, I got a, in brief moments of uh, where I managed to keep my drinking down. I ended up with an electrical contractor's license and my business. Um, life was good and I promptly drank that. Uh, you can't uh, go out bidding on jobs and talking to other people when you reek like booze. They just, they just won't give you the bid. And so the business closed and I gave up on that ever having a business, and I went to work, and I was way underpaid, but uh, why they put up with me was I was working cheap, and I did that for you know, a lot of years just because I could do it drunk and in a fog, and when I, I was so hungover, I was still drunk from the night before. I gave myself a C-section in the machine shop with a piece of sheet metal caught in a machine. Oh, jeez. So I wandered around uh, holding my innards in it. My God. Went away with that. And I think a big realization there was when they took me to the triage place, there was this doctor talking into his recorder, and I'm laying out on this gurney. And he was going on about, you know, he's making general observations of my body condition. And I think it really stood out that he said, and dehydration from possible drug and alcohol use. And, you know, was I that obvious? Yeah, right. Or the last ones and to know. That somebody could just look at me and tell. And, but still, I didn't uh, bother me too much. And, and I just, I uh, ended up just sitting in the, I reclused. I my family, they were just hoping I would drink myself to death and be done with me. They were tired of my drunken rants, and there were holes punched in the walls. I mean, it it, uh, it had cost me a lot, and I made excuses for everything. You know, like I said, I was still functioning, I thought, through all of this. And I had my drinking guidelines. I only drank beer because if I drank the hard stuff, I would uh, have a drinking problem that I needed to do something about. <laughs> So I drank a 12-pack of beer every night, and on the weekends, it's like, you know, and I still justified everything. I, you know, I'm, I work hard and blah, blah, blah. And reality was, is I was just getting through life in a job that uh, the only reason I was there was so I could drink more. I didn't have to think. It was menial stuff, and I could handle it, you know, like I said, until I gave myself a C-section. And uh, so it cost me a lot of respect, and I still have problems. My son, uh, every once in a while, you know, he's he's real. I've been sober almost 10 years, and still he's a little, that trust just isn't there anymore. How old is your son? Uh, He's 25. So do you think that you're ever going to get that relationship back with your son, that last bit of trust that you want from him? Um, I hope so. You know, I'm not going to press the issue. Um, you know, the embarrassment that I cost him uh, going to, you know, back to school nights and stuff like that, drunk on my ass. That was, you know, that's stuff I can't undo. And it's, uh, I made every amends that I could. And he knows I'm sincere by staying sober. 
I mean, that's the best thing that we can do is stay sober. And the three people who were on in the previous segment to you, Steve, they all had children and they were all trying to work through those issues with their kids. And we think about some of the reasons why we started drinking because we got issues as, as kids. And then we experimented a little and it really solved things for us or so we thought. And uh, then we continued into alcoholism. As we say, there's an imaginary line in your brain where you can drink in safety for a little while. Then once that line's bent, you can't unbend it. And some of us, it bends a lot quicker for some of us than others. Okay, well, we're going to go to Tim. Tim is from Maryville, Indiana. Tim, welcome to Sober in the City. How are you? Hey, Debbie. How are you doing? Tim, you hear us sharing about the costs of addiction. You hear the things that Steve's gone through and still trying to rebuild trust with one of his sons and he's over 10 years sober now. Where are you at in your path and for rebuilding your life and what do you feel addiction has cost you? Well, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting topic. And, uh, you know, I too have a, uh, I have a daughter and um, she was very young when, um, when I started like seriously trying to get treatment. And, um, you know, it was, she was, uh, it, it was, you know, I told her that I, I had to, I, I'm from New England originally, and I went down to, to Florida for treatment. And it was, why is daddy going to treatment? You know, and it was just explained to her because she was, you know, I think we underestimate kids sometimes. It was like, you know, well, daddy's sick and these are the people that can help him. And, you know, I, I kind of prayed that she didn't know how I was sick, but she knew exactly how, you know. And, um, even though as young as she was, you know, it was, uh, but I pretty sure that's something that's always going to stick with her. So, you know, the best I can do is, is just keep moving forward. And when she's, you know, old enough and can understand, you know, what's going on, I plan on having a discussion with her and, and, you know, telling her because it, it runs in the family too, you know? So I worry about that. Um, other costs, you know, and, and, Speaking of being in treatment, I mean, that was one of the exercises that they, they had us do. Um, I think a lot of facilities do that is to, you know, write down what has your disease cost you. And, you know, a lot of people look at it as, and I, and I did too, as I looked at it from a financial standpoint, and it was like an overnight assignment, and I started writing all this stuff down. I forget the exact figure, but it was somewhere around, you know, like a half a million dollars, you know, as far as like lost jobs and treatment and hospitals and ambulance rides and, you know, detoxes and this, this and that. And, and uh, you know, it's really, when you look at it like that, it's just phenomenal. It's like, I, I never thought, you know, I could, you know, ever see that kind of money or that I have to, you know, pretty much throw away. There it was, you know, <laughs> and, uh, it's really, it's really amazing when you look at it and when you stop and you think about it, you know, if you do an exercise like that, it's like, holy cow. Um, but aside from that, you know, I mean, it's, it's cost a lot more than that for me. I mean, you know, family and, and, uh, friends and jobs and my dignity, my self-respect, my, you know, self-esteem. And, um, you know, when I, I went through, I started, I think like a lot of us, I started at a young age too. And, uh, I made it pretty easily through high school, actually. Um, I was actually surprised that somehow I, I managed to graduate you know, like in the top third of my class. And uh, so Dita says a lot for me. You're not much for my other classmates. <laughs> <laughs> not sure which. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm I mean, curious. like, um, like, <laughs> like Steve had mentioned, I mean, I got to, I got to college and, and uh, I drank, I drank my way out of college as well. And I remember sitting in front of the Dean 
And I mean, that goes on the list too, is, is the tuition and the books and all that. But uh, yeah, I remember sitting in front of the dean when I was dropping out and he asked if I was sure if I wanted to do that. And he says, well, you know, and he told me that I had a 3.25 grade point average at that point. Hmm. And I was, I was floored. I was, cause I, I was, wow. Wow. <laughs> you know? and I barely remember like a lot of things, but, uh, you know, going through after I get out of there, because, you know, I had that, that self-important attitude and, and, uh, you know, it was just, I got out into the working world and I figured I could learn whatever I needed to while I was out there. And, uh, you know, I cost a lot of other people their things through my, through my manipulation. That was how I kind of got into climbing the ladder at different places that I was. And I'd throw people under the bus and I, and I, you know, just kind of manipulate situations and I've gotten people fired and, you know, took their positions and, you know, that's, that's stuff that's kind of, you know, I, uh, it's very hard to make amends for that. And, uh, you know, how do you move forward from that? And then when I finally got sober and, uh, started, you know, and finally got honest with myself and about everything else, you know, I'm at a point now where it's like the place that I work, I've been with for almost two years and I'm getting ahead and I'm going where I want to go. I have a, I have a plan and I'm getting there honestly. And this is the first time I can say in my life that I've honestly got somewhere that I'm not costing other people their comfort, their jobs, their, you know, well-being and hurting other people's families that I don't even know just for my own good. And uh, it's a great feeling. You know, I mean, it's just it's tremendous. It's um, I've already been promoted once and uh, in another couple of weeks, I'm getting another promotion. And that came from doing the work, you know, and I mean that both figuratively and literally you know, doing the work of, uh, of my fellowship and, and going through and working the steps, you know, in order to get myself in a position where I can honestly live life and do the work that it, that it takes to, to climb the ladder that, you know, or walk the path that I'm on. So, you know, it's, uh, there's nothing that beats that feeling. It's interesting that you bring up that up about being able to do the work actually at work, because one of my sponsors told me that when I was at work and I wasn't actually working, that I was stealing from my employer. Exactly. And that was that was one of the things, you know, I'd mentioned writing down the the cost of addiction. And, and that was one of the things that I figured in as, as a suggestion from my counselor at the time was, you know, how much time were you were you drunk on the job? And how much time, because that's not, that's not working. That's, you know, right. you're employed. <laughs> you're employed, but you're not working. Right. And uh, you're absolutely right. And I had to figure that out because it was like, okay, for, you know, and I know just as an example, there was, there was four solid months where I was just drunk 24 seven. I mean, it was, it was a lot longer than that, but you know, at this one particular job. So it's like, can I really count those nine hour shifts five days a week that I was on the clock? And the answer is no. You know, and yeah, um, really. I, and the job that I was doing was dangerous. So it was, you know, not only to me, but to other people around me. So I, it could have hurt people. I, I could have taken lives. I could have, you know, and the things that I talk about, and, and I just want to say this for your listeners um, benefit is, you know, this is my experience. That you don't have to go through the things that I did, but, you know, I'm one of those people that it also cost me my life. You know, literally, I actually died from my disease. And, um, you know, I'll never forget that night. And 
I was so sick that when I got out of the hospital, I died in the ambulance and they brought me back. And, uh, the next day I, my first stop when I got out of the hospital was, you know, I released myself against medical advice, stopped at the liquor store. That's how sick I was. Oh, know? wow. Yeah. And, well, I uh, can't say that I'm shocked because when I overdosed and they brought me back around in the ambulance and away to the hospital, I don't know how long I was in the hospital, but when my friends showed up, I pulled an IV out of my arm and tried to walk out of the hospital. Yeah, because you got to go get a fix. Yeah, and they, they locked me up for a few days because here in Florida they have a law to protect you from yourself and they could hold you for three yeah. days. Somehow they held me for five. I think it was because it was over in a week, over a weekend or something. Not that I was any worse than anyone else, but it was through a weekend and they couldn't get me out. And then um, I went right back to using. I went right back. No, I never yeah. used heroin again, but I was smoking crack within days. Yeah, but absolutely right back to it. Yeah, that's how we justify it. You know, even Steve said it. Well, I was on the beer diet because, you know, I don't want to be accountable for hard liquor. Right. You know, well, it doesn't really matter one thing or the other. You know, we're still killing ourselves. Absolutely. And stealing from our employers and look at the costs to them and to the world and to the economy and everything when, when we're all so many of us on the job doing those kind of things. And we wonder why well, the world's in such a mess right now. Right. And, you know, and it, and it takes a lot of time to rebuild all that because, you know what? When I started getting to be at my sickest point, I had the house, the wife, the kid, the cars, the, you know, the jobs, the this, the this, and it all just went away. Everything, you know, and even when I sobered up for a little while and, and um, forgot my program and put all the things that I started earning back, you know, I put all that in front of my recovery. And those were the first things that I lost when I went back out. And um, so it, it took quite a bit to get through my thick head, you know that uh, I just can't do this. I need to be sober. And I'm a, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I'm a good employee. I'm a, I'm a good husband. I'm a good father. I'm a good son, you know, cousin, brother, friend, whatever, when I'm sober. And um, that's all there is to it. And I'm just not. When, you know, when I was at my sickest, I just, I wasn't any of those things. I didn't, I didn't even like myself anymore. Well, we like you here, and we're sure glad you're with us, and thanks for sharing that. <laughs> we're going to go to Jimmy in Boynton Beach, Florida. Jimmy, welcome to Sober in the City. Uh, thank you. Share with us your experience about the cost of addiction. What does addiction cost you? It, it cost me myself, most and foremost, and I lost everything. I lost, Financially, I lost everything. Spiritually, I didn't, you know, drugs had taken over my life to such an extent, and alcohol, that... Um, that I really didn't know who I was. I was masking and I had no idea. But my, it really started, you know, I've been sober for a while now, but I, I um, started when I was a kid. You know, my mother was an alcoholic and my biological father was an alcoholic. And that's all I saw was drunks and fighting and, you know, and all this craziness. So I'd be rescued by my grandmother and she always took me to McDonald's. And, you know, so food was really the first thing. And until I got sober, I never realized that I was covering feelings with food. And, um, and then it went to the, going to a gym more than, you know, more than normal people. Everything was to an excess. And that was huge for years. But at 18 years old, I picked up my first drink. I never forget. I was a senior in high school. And, you know, I, I used to watch my mom drink, so she would drink the whole bottle. And I figured that's what I did. And I did that, went to oh, wow. dance and fell out a window and almost got kicked out of school. And I was in the top 10 of my senior of my class. Oh, wow. Um, so the very first time I blacked out and then I, and from that point on, it was all about controlling it. Um, and I, too, I went to college in the, my first semester down here, university of Tampa and I got kicked out. I got kicked. The guy 
the dean said, if you don't leave on your own, we're going to make sure you never go to college again. So I said, okay, no problem. So I dropped all my classes and partied for until the semester was over. Right? And that's really, that was really, because I'm from Jersey originally, and that's where high school was, and then I came down here for that. And, you know, and, and it, it was just insane, insanity. And, and for years I would go and just, and I get all kinds of DUIs. It really, when I drank it, it made me feel like I was somebody. And uh, I wasn't hiding behind other things like food or the gym. I, I was able to socialize because, you know, always worried about people being around your home as a kid with a with drunk parent and abuse, you know, tons of abuse, guns, the whole nine yards, being locked in pot and it, all kinds of craziness. And what I did was, I, you know, when I drank for the first time, I first of all, I blacked out. So I don't really remember that one. But like the next time after starting to try and control it, but I would always get in trouble. You know, I'd fight. I had fights, I'd get arrested, uh, you know, DUIs, the whole nine. And, and that is, and that's how my life went for a long time. <laughs> and then I, then I decided I would start businesses and I worked. And so work became my drug for a long time. And about 17 years ago, my brother committed murder and uh, my addiction took off again, but to a new level. And that's when the drinking and the drugging really, really started. And for the next seven years, in and out of treatment, and um, I lost, I had six restaurants, I lost all of them. Um, I was married, I lost my wife. Uh, I, I mean, and I, somebody said that, I remember one, I, and all I wanted to do was kill myself. You know, I just wanted to die. <clears throat> and uh, I remember one time I was trying to get money from my wife to go get, because I missed my methadone appointment because I was smoking crack all night. And I... And I'm in the bathroom saying I'm going to kill myself. And here's the police come down and put a gun to my head and say, if, if you don't put the dice, we're going to kill you. And I was like, oh, my God, oh, there's Jesus. something wrong here. <laughs> and Nuthouse, for, oh, my God, for, for so long, I think I did like nine, like 10 treatment centers. And that's the only thing that really kept me alive, you know. And, and it used to, at first, it gave me all this guilt and shame. And you now being sober, you look at your perception of life is totally different. And all these different treatment centers, all these overdoses, all this stuff that kept happening. I, you were saying about it, I'm, I'm all over, but I remember they, I remember one time I was on an overdose and I used to hide it as asthma attacks. And I knew what it was, but I was just getting, it was craziness. And I remember my dealer used to come in and put the dope in my IV when the nurses weren't looking. Oh, so I wouldn't get dope sick. And, um, you know, that's insane. And, you know, after I just overdosed, it, it was crazy. Oh, wow. So, but that's the only thing I ever thought about, you know, you know, in the program, it teaches, it, it taught me how to find God, you know, and, and to have a relationship with other people. And with most importantly, with myself, where God dwells within. And I, uh, you know, I'm able now to talk to, to, I would never give this life up that I have now. And I lost everything. I had everything. You know, like everybody says, the wife, but who, it's not about that. It's, 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 to me today, it's about how I, you know, stay sober and, it took everything, and God has given me everything back as I can handle it. And whenever I go off track, something comes up, you know, because it's easy to go off track. You know, the ego takes over and pride. And, and then, and, but I always, you know, he'll always give me a reminder, and somehow I get myself back on track. I live in, I live in Boynton, which is right outside Delray, which is like all these treatment centers. And, you know, and I worked in treatment for a while. and. You know, God gave me the reason I was going to become a nurse. And I remember trying to become a nurse. The background thing wouldn't let me do it. So I ended up becoming an air conditioning tech. And that's what I do now. And um, But I've seen a lot of people die here, you know, and uh, all do because they just can't put down that drink. They beat themselves up and just continue to 
do it, you know, and I don't want to do that. And uh, it's like the, the new life is so much more, you know, I mean, alcohol and drugs killed me, took everything away. But in reality, it gave me a second chance when I really look at it. So, um, you know, it's relationships, building old relationships. I really, you know, I did my events with my wife and you know, when, when she accepts it, she accepts it. It's not a big deal. I don't care. <laughs> and, uh, and to tell you the truth. And, um, you know, my, my father, I, I got adopted when I was young and, you know, he, he was my, he was my biggest, um, he gave me everything and he's what probably, and then when he cut me off is when I actually got sober and, um, and our relationship was really not that great and uh, it's gotten better and it goes back and forth, but he's got his own stuff. So it doesn't really, you know, there's always a codependent around. <laughs> so, uh, and, and I'm a man after his own heart. I'm trying to codependent myself. And, and I know that, and whatever takes me off my God track, I know that it's getting in the way of my program. How long are you sober, Jimmy? Um, come, uh, April 1st, I'll have, I'll have eight years. That's fantastic. It sounds like you've done a nice job of rebuilding your life because it sounds like you've been through a, a real special form of hell. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was great, though. I, I dated three women in the room, and, three of them, and they all committed suicide, so it shows you what I picked. <laughs> oh, my God. And how long were you sober when that happened? What, like, between what years? Well, the first time, the first time was two years. second time was um, two years. The same year, back-to-back, oh back they were. And then... Uh, and then I had one last year. My she God. jumped off a building. Wow. I'm really yep. sorry about that. I found two of them. <laughs> no, it's okay. Oh, jeez. It, it, it shows, shows me how, what alcohol, it shows me what drugs and alcohol do to people. Yeah. You yeah. Know? You want to give a little advice to people about dating and early recovery? About what? <laughs> about dating, dating and early recovery? Uh, about our pickers? <laughs> our pickers are broken, period. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Um, Good Lord. I, would, I, I, I dated right away, and it was wrong. And uh, I can never tell anybody. I only tell them my experience. You know, I can never tell anybody not to do anything, because if I was told not to do something, I'm going to do it. <laughs> You're going straight out for my that. Experience, oh, it, it, didn't work, it didn't work out very well, though. My God. Really not a good thing. Well, I'm and sure. Now, I got married. Like, I got married, and, she, you know, I, I, it was somebody from outside the program, a church girl, so that was... Much different, much different. Good for you. Good for you that she puts up with your crazy self. You sound like you sound oh like a God, lot of yeah. fun, Jimmy. <laughs> oh, I'm a <laughs> I hope to run into you in some meetings sometime. You know, we're, we're not that oh. far apart from where we live. Thank you so much, Steve, Tim, and Jimmy, for sharing your experience with us here at Sober in the City. When we come back, more about the cost of addiction and what it means to you. 800 Sober 5 We're going to take a quick break for our sponsors who make this show possible. Maybe you can take a chance and call your sponsor if you haven't yet today. We'll be right back. Oh 
Belief Treatment Center, we understand. We understand you are struggling. That's where our treatment nourishes mind, body, and spirit. We understand that recovery works differently for everyone. That's why we design individual treatment programs specifically for you. At Believe Treatment Center, we understand that it's not easy. That's why we offer a comprehensive scope of services, including nutrition, massage, chiropractic, and aftercare for you and even for your family. Believe Treatment Center is a 12-step friendly, state-of-the-art facility located in gorgeous Palm Beach County, Florida. We are experts in all types of addiction and recovery, and we are proud sponsors of Sober in the City. To find out more about our program and how your insurance may cover your treatment, call us today at 1-855-874-2354. That's 855-874-2354. Or visit BelieveTreatmentCenter.com. Believe Treatment Center. We understand. It's me, your bathroom medicine cabinet. I see you naked, know how often you floss, and watch you pluck unsightly hairs. I can keep a secret, but you need to know. Your kids have been taking your prescriptions to get high. I couldn't keep it quiet, because prescription drug abuse now causes more deaths than cocaine and heroin ODs combined. So please, mind your meds. For tips on safeguarding your meds, and your family, visit the partnership at drugfree.org. The thought of my sons growing up without me inspired me to quit smoking. I talked to my doctors, and then I threw away all my cigarettes, ashtrays, and lighters. I started exercising instead of smoking. Staying away from alcohol when I was first quitting was key. I kept on trying, learned something each time. Do whatever it takes. No matter how many times it takes. We did it, so can you. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and CDC. 